This evening we're going to look, as I said, at three chapters together, so we're certainly not going to look at them verse by verse. I'm going to treat the three chapters as a, a piece, as a whole. The, the chapters we're going to look at are 1 Samuel chapter 18 to 20. So if you want to have those open in front of you, that's fine, but don't, don't worry too much because, as I say, I'll only be pointing out little things here and there. It can come as a, a bit of a shock to us to realize that not everyone loves us just the way we are. We come into this world, uh, most of us anyway, and we're cared for and we're cuddled and we're made a fuss of. We're so lovable and so loved. But somehow it doesn't seem to last. Sooner or later, often in the primary school playground or somewhere like that, we find that we're not loved, that we're treated as trespassers or rivals, treated as the enemy. That was David's experience in the passages, the chapters that we're going to look at this evening. From 1 Samuel chapter 18 onwards, David lived the rest of his life with enemies, always around him. Whenever you look at the life that David lived and the prayers that he prayed, it's clear that enemies are never far from his mind. Now, we too live with enemies. People criticize us. People tease us. And they avoid us and they attack us and they abandon us and they snub us and they stab us in the back. Maybe not all of these things and certainly not all of these things all of the time. But enough of these things, enough of the time that we realize that not everybody loves us. Not everybody loves us in the deep and passionate way that God does. When you read these chapters, you soon discover who David's enemy is. David's main enemy is Saul. In these chapters, Saul repeatedly tries to kill David, and the murder attempts take up the bulk of these three chapters. Tonight, we're going to try and cover the main movements of these stories. I'm going to read some passages for you, but I don't want you to worry about following them in your Bible, because I'll be reading from the message translation, but I will encourage you to listen to those Later on, I will ask you to look more specifically with me at a couple of passages. The story picks up where we left off last week. And if you remember, last week, David had defeated Goliath and the army's returning home. In chapter 18, we discover why Saul becomes David's enemy. Why would Saul be David's enemy? David's just defeated Saul's enemy. Listen to this. As they returned home after David had killed the Philistine, the women poured out of the villages of Israel, singing and dancing, welcoming King Saul with tambourines, festive shouts and lutes. In the playful frolic, the women sang, Saul kills by the thousand, David by the tens of thousands. This made Saul angry, very angry. He took it as a personal insult. They credit David with ten thousands, but me only with thousands. Before you know it, they'll be giving him the kingdom. From that moment on, Saul kept his eye on David. 
The next day, an ugly mood was sent by God to afflict Saul. He became quite beside himself, raving. David played his harp, as he usually did at such times. Saul had a spear in his hand. Suddenly Saul threw the spear, thinking, I'll nail David to the wall. David ducked, and the spear missed. This happened twice. Now Saul feared David. It was clear that God was with David and that he had left Saul. So Saul got David out of his sight by making him an officer in the army. David was in combat frequently. Everything that David did turned out well. God was with him. When Saul saw David becoming more successful, he himself grew more fearful. He could see the writing on the wall. Everyone else in Israel and Judah loved David. They loved watching him in action. You see, this is why Saul becomes an enemy to David. It's because he's jealous. People are beginning to grow in their love for David. This incident where where Saul threw the spear at David wasn't a spontaneous one-off. Soon Saul is carefully planning how he can kill David. Twice, with two of his daughters, he he tries to offer his daughters to to David as bait, that if he proves himself by fighting Philistines, he can have the hand of the king's daughter in marriage. And twice, David survives. God just continues to bless David. In chapter 19, we see something interesting begin to happen. Saul's son, Jonathan, tries to talk to his father, talk him out of his plans to kill David. He says, don't attack David. He hasn't wronged you, has he? Just look at all the good he's done. He put his life on the line when he killed the Philistine. What a great victory God gave Israel that day. You were there. You saw it with your own eyes. You were applauding with everyone else. Why would you even think of sinning against an innocent person, killing David for no reason? Whenever Saul heard it put like that, he realized that Jonathan was right. He welcomed David back into his court, but it wasn't long before Saul's jealousy got control of him once more. We read that another black mood from God settled over Saul and took control of him. Once more, he threw a spear and tried to skewer David to the wall. Three times now, he's tried to kill David with a spear. Twice, He's tried to to lure him into death on the battlefield with the promise of a daughter. And then finally, a story that you may know of. Saul sends a murder squad around to David's house. Reading from chapter 19. It was night. Saul sent men to David's house to stake it out, and then first thing in the morning to kill him. But when Michal, David's wife, told him what was going on, Quickly now, be on your way. Make your escape tonight. If not, you'll be dead before the morning. She let him out of a window and he made his escape. Then Michal took a dummy and put it in the bed, placed a wig of goat's hair on its head and threw a quilt over it. When Saul's men arrived to get David, she said, he's sick in bed. Saul sent his men back, ordering them, bring him bed and all so I can kill him. When the men entered the room, all they found in the bed was a dummy with a goat's hair wig. 
Saul stormed at his daughter, Michal. How could you play tricks on me like this? You sided with my enemy and now he's gotten away. Michal said he threatened me. He said, help me out or I'll kill you. Six times now, Saul has tried to kill David. Six attempts on his life. Throughout these dark days, David had found an enemy in Saul. But something else is going on in these passages. And this is what I want to focus on just for a few minutes this evening. Saul has found, sorry, David has found a friend. A friend in Saul's son, Jonathan. This, this passage, this chunk of three chapters begins and it ends with friendship. It's full of violence and attempted murder, but it begins and it ends with friendship. Look with me at chapter 18, verse 1. We read there that Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Look at verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. You probably learned about David and Jonathan's friendship in Sunday school, so you, you maybe aren't getting the impact of what's going on here. This is absolutely remarkable, what's going on here. Prince Jonathan has every reason under the sun to hate David. It'd be wise to keep him at arm's length. David is his rival in every way imaginable. Jonathan before David arrived on the scene, Jonathan was known as the warrior without rival in Israel. All of a sudden, David arrives, kills the giant, and becomes the new hero of the people. Before David arrived on the scene, Jonathan was his dad's blue-eyed boy. The joy and the pride of the entire court. All of a sudden, his dad's inviting this musical shepherd into the, the court, and he's winning everybody over. Jonathan was the crown prince waiting to become king in Israel. Every day, David's popularity rose with the people, and every day he was elevated as a rival who would usurp the, the crown prince. Do you see what's going on here? Jonathan's friendship with David is an astonishing act of selflessness. Whenever he promises or covenants friendship to David, he's giving up almost all that he has, all, that, all the privileges that life affords him. Much later on, Jesus would say, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus, of course, was talking of a time when he would lay down his life for others. Jonathan didn't give up his life for David, but he gave up almost every privilege that life offered him. It was a costly, costly friendship and a deep, deep friendship. I wonder how willing we are to enter into friendships like this. How willing are we in this day and age to enter into costly friendships? In his first letter to 
In his first letter, Peter urges believers to whom he's writing, love one another deeply from the heart. Do we have this kind of friendship here in Kirkpatrick? This kind of friendship should be wherever God's people are. This is the friendship that God calls his people to. As I said, this passage opens and closes talking about friendship. So turn with me to the very end of chapter 20. Chapter 20, verses 41 to 42. In between the passage we've just looked at and this last passage, the six murder attempts have occurred. Even Jonathan's finally convinced that Saul is trying to kill David. And you maybe again know this story. Jonathan has used an archery session as a secret coded message and he's let David know, David, you must flee. You're not safe. My father is going to kill you. Look at verse 41. After this has been communicated to David, David got up from the south side of the stone and he bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. They kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. This story this evening that we've looked at, these three chapters tell the story of how Saul became David's enemy, but of how Jonathan became his friend, a friend for life. Friends, it wasn't It wasn't easy for Jonathan to be a friend to David. Think about that for a moment. He served in his father's court. I imagine that Jonathan was probably part of some of the manhunts that were sent out to kill David. It's entirely likely that that was the case. These are the circumstances in which David so, sorry, Jonathan is remaining faithful to David. Somehow Jonathan didn't allow these difficult, difficult circumstances to cancel out this covenant friendship that he had with David. God was at work here. If you read the, the narratives of 1 Samuel, you soon realize how God uses Jonathan to encourage David at crucial times. Friends, many of us live our friendships in in hard circumstances. Our marriages, our family relationships, our closest friendships, we're living them now in a world that tells us that loyalty is not important. A world that tells us to look after number one. A world that tells us above all else, guard your privacy. That's the world in which you and I, the people of God, are to live out these friendships. We live in a world where people are encouraged to ditch their friends who no longer bring them the pleasure they once did, friends who no longer fulfill their needs. There's no room today for the kind of selflessness that Jonathan displays towards David. Friendships like this are few and far between. Just for a second, think about marriage. Isn't marriage just one type of a covenant friendship where two people promise 
that they will be together for the rest of their days, no matter what the circumstances. And yet, marriages are struggling. Covenant friendships are under pressure. We see here with David and Jonathan what a glorious thing it can be when a a covenant like this is maintained and fulfilled. I think friendship is a spiritual gift from God. It's something that God gives us to help us to keep going when we don't feel that we can keep going ourselves. Sometimes we feel like we would just give up, but then the encouragement of a friend comes. Most of us are able to start out on things, to begin a journey, but often we rely on on a friend, someone coming alongside us to help us keep going. I think that's why God gives us friends. Eugene Peterson has this to say about the centrality of friendship. Friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It's every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. If you're here this evening and you have benefited from the closeness of a friend, a sister or a brother in Christ, you'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's somebody in church or in a home group or, or just somebody from somewhere coming alongside you at the right moment. God-given friends help us to keep going in the most difficult circumstances. David and Jonathan, one of the best examples of friendship we'll ever read about anywhere, but not the first time we read in the Bible of covenant friendship. Let me read what God says of his covenant love for his people Israel. From Deuteronomy, the Lord didn't set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. It was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God. And listen to this. He keeps his generation, sorry, his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. A thousand generations. Isn't that incredible? If you're a Christian tonight, then you're in a covenant relationship with the living God. And no matter how difficult the circumstances of your life become, no matter how many enemies you appear to have tonight, God is with you. A thousand generations. I'm almost finished, but if you ever hear me talking to the children in our children's addresses, if I talk to them about what it is to be a believer, I often use the phrase friend of God or friend of Jesus. I wonder what you think of that phrase. Do you think it's a wee bit cheesy to talk about believers as a friend of God? Or maybe you think it's not quite theologically right, not quite, not quite accurate. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 14. He talks to his disciples. 
You are my friends, he says. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. If we're Jesus' disciples here tonight, who are we to argue? If we follow Jesus, we're in a covenant relationship, a covenant friendship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that brilliant? No matter what happens this week, if you're in Christ, you have a friend who will never, ever leave you. A covenant friendship with God. Friends, I want to thank people here at Kirkpatrick who have already been friends to me in this way. Friends who have helped me to do what Jonathan did for David, helped me find strength in the Lord. I'm looking and I see some of you here this evening. Thank you. It's not a trivial thing. It's one of the very, very core ways in which God works among his people. I wonder, will we open our lives to that? Will you allow God to bless you through others? And will you look for those opportunities, those times when you can be a Jonathan to a David, come alongside them, encourage them, and promise them that no matter what happens, you'll always be there for them. Let us pray.